Welcome into the 11 Dubcast. We are all hunkering down, sheltering in place, but that does not mean that the podcast game stops. So I am Johnny, he's Andy, and we have all kinds of fun Ohio State things to talk about this week. And I I don't how are you how are you coping right now? Are you doing okay? How's life? Yeah, it's it's interesting uh because I've been a work from home employee for 10 years now. So the move to get everybody out of offices or wherever your place of business happens to be uh, and, and sheltering. This hasn't been a huge change in my day-to-day life aside from I'm now doing it with a seven-year-old. Um, so that's, you <laughs> that's know, a slight change. Well, they, they can change things. Yeah. Fortunately she's pretty amazing. And so, you know, is, is doing a lot of really cool things on her own. You know, she, she loves to read, loves to draw, loves to Great. write. So, you know, we've been writing letters to her friends and, what what I feel really bad for her is that she's a social butterfly at school. And so she's really missing her other first grade classmates. Right. And, and it's a real shame because we could walk, you know, we, we live in a, a pretty small town and in a pretty close community. So we could walk literally to every one of her friend's house, um, <laughs> it, you know, it, within a few blocks. And, if you and were you allowed. To. Yeah. And you can't. Right. So that's, that, that's the, the thing that makes it tough for her. Um, what's going to be interesting now that we're into the the shelter in place thing is we're all kind of waiting to find out. Like my wife has still worked in a, in a position where she's been going to work in a pretty sparsely populated office. So everybody's more than six feet apart anyway. So, you know, yeah. some of the, some of the social distancing things, but we're now at that stage where it could really affect um, her too. That'll be a totally different thing to see, you know, what's the whole family like when we're all you know, batten down the hatches. We've been doing a lot of walks, you know, we've take the mm. dogs out and, um, you know, we walked a couple miles today around the neighborhood. And fortunately we're within walking distance of literally like three different, we have a, we have a Johnson's ice cream, a graders and a, a, um, Jenny's <laughs> ice cream all within walking distance. All right. So all right. I'm probably, um, flattening the curve on how many calories I burn by, uh, <laughs> consuming ice cream on the way back home from some of these walks yeah, that we're taking, go. but we're, we're doing okay. We're very, I don't mean to make light of a pretty serious situation, but we're, we're okay. It's not been a huge change for me personally, aside from having the rest of the family in the house. Uh, I'm here all day, every day anyway. So that part's not been a big change. I'll be honest. How are you, how are you holding up? Cause you're, you're not going to school every day and that's kind of, I'm a, not, a but that's thing. the thing. Like I'm a little disturbed about how well I'm holding up. Like, I don't feel like I should be this good at just sitting in a room. <laughs> on it. I think that I think that says something something not so great about John Ginner, but uh we're doing all right. We're holding up. We had our uh, took a nice little walkies ourselves earlier and then you know it was it was a good times. Um you know, we're trying to the thing that's challenging especially as a teacher is trying to transfer from, you know, talking to students every day, motivating them, getting them going and then shifting to online only and I uh came up with an online curriculum for last week and it was just it's, I mean, it's a crapshoot. Like, I've I have never been an online teacher before. There, I know plenty of online teachers. People who have done like you know Treka and they've done uh, you know Ecot and kind of other things like that. Uh, but it's not something I've ever really done, and it's it's a trip. So it, it's definitely it's an adjustment. You got to figure things out. You got to try to get people motivated to you know blearily log on and and read whatever thing that you posted but it's it's interesting and it's it's strange times for everybody i think we're all kind of like an adjustment mode but i also am heartened by what i'm seeing i think from people who are just like you know we're gonna write it out we're gonna rely on other people we're gonna listen to what we got to do and and I, I i think that's what people for the most part are are getting at so i appreciate that and i think ohioans in general are doing a pretty good job 
Um, and yeah, another, and I, I think the other thing that's, I think the other thing that's been before we get too far in the field, but yeah, one sure. thing that I've, I've been thinking about a lot lately is that I'm personally very fortunate that this hasn't affected my life very much at all. And I'd say you might be in a similar boat. Yeah. It's, it, you know, there's, there's some pain in having to convert to online classes and learn how to do that and so on and so forth. But in the grand scheme of things, like I, I feel a lot more, um, empathy and, and, uh, for folks who are, you know, in businesses like say the food service industry that have been yeah. severely disrupted by this and, you know, maybe worrying about how they're going to put, uh, you know, rent check in the mail and food on the table and so on. So I'm, uh, for, for listeners who are in their spaces, you know, my, my heart's out to you and, and, um, keeping, keeping all of you in those situations and, uh, my prayers and, and thoughts and yeah. know, send a good Buckeye vibes your way. Cause it's, uh, it's, it's a bum deal for a lot of people, but necessary, unfortunately. And not just them, but also the people who are out there manning the stations at, you know, grocery stores and all that stuff. I've got our local Kroger. I've got probably five or six students who work there, former students who yep. work there. And, you know, they're not getting paid a lot. They're working their butts off. They're dealing with people going crazy and like buying everything in the store. I mean, the, the work that they're doing is not just necessary and vital and all those other things, but it's also hard. It really sucks. Yeah. And you're putting yourself at risk for being exposed to this thing. Like, I just, I don't know. I, I give them all the props in the world and I just hope everybody stays safe and healthy. Um, Cause it's, it's tough. It's a tough time for everybody. So um you know, hopefully the dubcast can provide a little bit of respite from some of that as we go forward. Um, and the other thing that I want to talk about, look, it's not all doom and gloom. Ohio State basketball just won a national championship. Andy, did you you are aware of this, right? Like you're you've celebrated, you've you've gotten into this because this is clearly the most significant moment in Ohio State sports since you know 2014, 2015. Like this is a big deal. I'm ready to uh you know hang the banner and as soon as the um, you know, the, the relevant health authorities say it's okay. I think we need to be having <laughs> the parade down champions lane to celebrate this. It's uh, yeah. it's a big deal. Yeah. So Ohio state, uh, you know, as per a simulation from the Washington post, I believe they beat, I forget. It was like Kansas. They beat somebody in the national championship. It was like way higher seed than more than they were. But as a five seed, Washington post has simulated that Ohio state um, is the new national champion and the simulated March Madness, because we couldn't have, you know, real March Madness. I, the, I mean, we joke, and I'll be honest with you, I really thought that there was a decent chance that Ohio State would get 12-5 in the actual tournament. And I am kind of glad that we have a hypothetical where Ohio State wins the national championship, because I was, despite the fact that they possibly, I mean, we've seen the brackets, right? We've seen what their draw was going to be. They had a fairly favorable draw, um, albeit one with a ton of Big Ten teams in, but I, you know, I almost, because I don't think this team is going to win a national championship, I'm okay with this being the <laughs> thing that we can celebrate rather than getting yes. super pissed and angry about like a first round loss or something like that. Because that's, we would all, that's what would be happening. We would all be writing these postmortems after the season if they didn't make it to the Sweet 16 going like, oh, missed opportunity. This is a team that had really high expectations, couldn't achieve them. Burp, 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 burp. And I'm kind of glad we don't have to deal with that, frankly, because I don't think they would have been so hot in the uh, the NCAA tournament. I think they would have yeah, gotten I, posted. I love the way this uh, th this virtual bracket, um, simulated bracket, played out. You know, so Ohio State coming into the five seed in the Midwest, right? As as, as we uh, 
we talked right. about. Um, but but it was great because the Buckeyes beat Michigan State to make the Final Four in this situation. <laughs> sure. Uh, so avenge avenge that loss from the, the the end of the regular season, which is fantastic. Um, and then it was a 64-52 win, nonetheless, which was uh, uh, even better. Then then beat number one seed uh, Dayton in the East, uh, Dayton, in the East Division go. in the Final Four, which I, I think is swell. And not only beat Dayton, but but put on them pretty handily, 80-64. to 64. And uh, from there, uh, beat number one seed, uh, number one overall seed, I think, Baylor in the uh, championship Baylor. game. And, okay. uh, and, and gave Buckeyes credit for being the better shooting team all year, an effective field goal rate of 52%. And uh, of course, uh, close enough defensively to let the Buckeyes win the second national championship since uh, ever and first since 1960. <laughs> Just like this is, this is fantastic. Now contrast that exactly what you said, like the, uh, the guy that we could end on this celebration, some cat on Twitter decided to do a simulated NCAA wrestling tournament, and, <laughs> which we All actually right. had the full brackets for, for the NCAA wrestling tournament, which was great. Um, you, we knew that uh, Ohio state had two number one seeds in Colin Moore and Luke Pletcher. And, and it was funny because uh, Pletcher versus Nick Lee was the simulated rematch, which had been a rematch of uh, the big 10 championship. Uh, just you know, a couple weeks uh, before that, and it was funny the way they simulated it. Pletcher has like a five-one lead going into the third period, and had Penn State's Nick Lee win it. And Pletcher had some fun with it on the uh, on Twitter because he said, "Yeah, if I'm up five to one going in the third, it's going to be forty-five thousand fans in the stand booing as I run circles for three <laughs> minutes, you know, for for the last thirty seconds of the, right. of the period or whatever." <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, that's the thing. Comical. I mean, the simulations are always weird because you you know they. You want to be able to look at something and go, yeah, that's how it would play out. But just the you look at some of these matchups and you're like, there's no way in hell that Ohio State, for example, is going to just like lock down every team going forward. And that was the other weird thing. Like, if you look at Kim Palm's stats, right, with Ohio State, Ohio State was their mo was was offensive efficiency, and yeah. it's. I don't believe that. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's that's what I'm saying. Like I don't know how much I believe that uh, in a tournament situation. And so I, I guess I can see why the stats would do that. And, and Ohio State winning as a five seed is improbable on the face of it by itself. But I, I understand that you would say, okay, stat wise, Ohio State has a decent shot to do some interesting things. But just based on what you saw towards the end of the season, it's they were playing well, but I don't think well enough to just shut down team after team after team i mean the thing um, that's interesting about that when you since you bring up the offensive efficiency thing that's really interesting is the difference between how well they played from an efficiency standpoint at home versus away that was the right. knock on them in the big 10 the big 10 schedule was that you know they played lights out at home and you know as, as i said more than once couldn't hit the bull in the ass with a tennis racket when they were outside of the the shot yeah but but then the other part of me says, except that they played really, really well, you know, versus um, UK and, and North Carolina and Villanova and so on in the early part of the season. So maybe they would have been fine in a tournament. Like I, I, I kept feeling like in some ways this was a bipolar team. They were either really good or they stunk. Like there wasn't yeah, a whole it, lot of, well, that was a, you know, grinded out kind of deal. It was like. Well, and I agree with that. And that's why I'm like kind of baffled that you would go look at a tournament situation. Yeah, they can win like six in a row. That's that's going to happen. Like, I, you know, it's just it's just funny to me. And and honestly, that's why I'm kind of glad that we have this, like I said, because you can kind of just you can always do the little what if and, and smirk a little bit. And I, I don't know. It's just fun. 
Now, the other part of this, the other part of real basketball in Columbus with Ohio State is you've got two transfers. You got DJ Carton. He's he's finished. He's in the transfer transfer portal. Um, is not going to be coming back to the team. Uh, you've got Alonzo Gaffney not going to be coming back to the team. And you look at that, and in in terms of scholarships, actually, Ohio State was like right on the edge, but they're not hurting hurting for personnel. And then you add a transfer with Seth Towns. And Seth Towns was the Ivy League player of the year a couple of years ago. He's been injured. Um, he obviously brings a like a, a, a veteran presence, B, a really good scoring presence, which is something that I think Ohio State really wants. Uh, and C, and this is what I think Holtman wants, is just experience overall. <laughs> like he wants, he does not want to have to coach up guys, uh, you know, who maybe don't want to buy into a system, whatever. Um, and considering you're bringing in a dude from Harvard, I, I think this is the ideal outcome for Chris Holtman and company after some turbulent um, personnel you know, months, I think on the team, this is, this is what he wants. This is definitely what he's going to be happy about. Yeah. And the thing that you, I, I kind of appreciate Holtman's desire to have age because one of the things that age brings on the team typically is maturity. And, and I, I won't say that you lacked maturity from uh, the guys who are leaving. I'm, I'm not pointing fingers at uh, Cartner Gaffney in that regard, but you know, one of the things that you have when you have a super young team or this is the one and dones and so on and so forth are there some of those maturity issues? Do you have concerns about whether or not they go to class? Uh, you bring in an Ivy League player of the year type guy, you're assuming he went to class and did okay and that sort of thing. So, you know, when you have a more veteran heavy team, you can appreciate some of that leadership. The other thing you like about bringing in some of these older transfers, you know what you're getting. I mean, there's not a whole lot of where uh, with, you know, new recruits, you're betting on the come to some extent. Yeah, a lot, you, you can usually tell if somebody's a lottery pick or not, but sure. Um, you know, you you look at uh, you know Gaffney. You would have had pretty high expectations for Gaffney as an example, and you know, not so much when you actually look at what he did on the stat sheet this year. So, you know, that's it's one of the things with Towns. You would expect to have a pretty good idea of where he's going to fit into the into the lineup and what he brings to the table. Yeah, one of the things that was was mentioned that I think is interesting in terms of fitting into the lineup is is what the lineup is actually going to look like. And you've got a lot of you're not going to have a ton of bigs. I mean, you're going to have like Diallo, you're going to have one big basically, and then you're not going to have a lot of like smaller like point guard types. You're really going to have a lot of strong forwards on the team, and that's really what it's going to look like. And I, I don't know, maybe I put too much emphasis on this because I I thought that the physical makeup of the team would impact them more than it did and I I would really say that a lot of the things that hurt them over the course of the season were less about like matchups and more about just not being able to you know like shoot right like not Mm -hmm. being able to hit threes in critical situations during key points like that was what ended up hurting them more in December and early January I think than anything else it was just just losing your shot and not playing cohesive offense um, especially on the road, as you mentioned. And and so I, I think this will be a fun team to watch. I think they're going to run a lot and you're going to see a lot of like fast breaks and all that good stuff. Um, but I also think you'll see a team that's a lot smarter about taking care of the basketball, which is really freaking important. And I also think when they started to turn the, you know, the thing around with, with turnovers, that's when I, you started to see their, their wins come back to them a little bit in the latter part of the part of the season. So um yeah, I, I think Towns is going to help with that immeasurably. I think it's going to be a big, big thing for them. And they'll, they'll be able to hit the ground running uh, starting next season. That's, that's again, Holtman, 
I think once a veteran team and now he's got it. And so even with the losses of Gaffney and, and uh, Carton, I think this is still, you know, this is still a team that's going to challenge for the big 10 uh, title. And I'm excited about that. I think that's a lot of fun, especially because you had this, you know, early season ending that just wasn't really satisfying. I think for a lot of people who expected them or at least hoped that they could make a run in March. Yeah. yeah you at least get a couple, at least get a couple games under their belt, right? Like it was, there, there were some hope. So the big question I, I still have, you know, as I was looking at, um, I thought Colin had a really great breakdown of what the roster looks like and that age and veteran, you know, and he yep. mentioned that Caleb Wesson still has to make his decision about whether or not he's going to take a crack at the league. What's your gut tell you? He, he's, he's gone. I don't know. I, I actually think he might stay, frankly. I, I, I think that's a situation where he may see an opportunity to, maybe make more of an impact on the overall team, if that makes sense. Like he'll he, like, he was the featured guy, but I, I think a lot of people would say that maybe because of the ups and downs of the team, he didn't have the kind of profile that he would have had, had Ohio state continued to be really good. If Ohio state starts out as hot as they do, and then maybe they have a couple bumps in the road, but they stay in the top 10, the entire season. Caleb Wesson's gone. He's, he's done. Right. But because they had that huge dip and because they were off of people's, um, you know, plates and they weren't really being thought of that much in terms of a national contender i think he lost a lot of publicity that he otherwise could have gotten and some momentum that he could have gotten going in the draft so i wouldn't be surprised at all if he comes back i i, I think that might be a good play for him honestly. and not having a tournament to make that sort of exactly. closing argument you know nobody's, exactly nobody's thinking about caleb lesson right now right so uh, I, I think it might even be in his best interest to come back um i mean it depends on what kind of evaluation you get and what you're hearing and whatnot but I would not be shocked if he ended up coming back and trying to raise his stock a little bit because that, especially in basketball, I mean, it's, it, this isn't a situation where you get second round money and you're like, okay, well, I'm still set. Like it's, it's so much different. Um, and if he can play himself into a top 15, top 20 pick that, that will change a lot for him. So I would not be surprised if he tried to do that. Um, and he sh- I, I think he should, I think that'd be a good, I don't know. I mean, do you, what, what do you think? What, what's your beat on that? Oh, I think he should absolutely come back. Uh, yeah. You know, that, that to me, you know, my, my calculus on this is always like, if, if you know, you can get paid, go. Um, right. Or, you know, and, and I swore I read somewhere um, that, you know, Gaffney wasn't necessarily going in the portal so much as he just wanted to go, I guess, try to play ball yeah um overseas or you know wherever and it's like okay yeah, if he, he's aiming i think for professional leagues i think he's looking yeah. for other places to make a mark and so Which i look at fine. that i mean like, there's nothing i don't think there's anything wrong with that yeah, but it's definitely yeah. it's, if, you if you're miserable at school if school is not your tempo you know what not everybody needs to go to a four-year um sure. university baccalaureate type degree you i'm big proponent of you know, do whatever's right for you. If that's, uh, you know, vocational, learn a trade. If that's going to military public service, if that's whatever it is. But when it comes to going pro, yeah, with, uh, you, know, you know, football players, it's always like if you if you know your first round, if you, if you know you're going to get first round money, go. You know, yeah. there's, there's no reason not to go get that payday. Um, beyond that, then, you know, if you're thinking, oh, I might be a second rounder then you you've got to look hard in the mirror and say well how much can i improve my draft stock basketball side you know it's a lot simpler to me if, you, if you're not going to be a pick uh yeah it's exactly what you said second round money is not going to set really you for it. life so stick it out come back and i think he's got something to prove i think he can improve his game um yeah. he certainly has and, and i think maybe not having that tournament not only to you know kind of showcase his talents on the biggest stage but 
also maybe there's some unfinished business uh, because the team as a whole didn't get to go out and show, Hey, this is what we can do right. in the big dance. So I, I, you know, that I still think that counts for something. Ultimately, you know, you've got to do what's best for you and so on. But I think there's, I think there's still something to say, doggone it. I wanted a shot at a ring. Right. And, and I hope that he, he ends up doing that because it would be really cool for him to be able to finish it out that way. And I, I know Holtman would probably appreciate the hell out of that and, you know, be super excited about that. That will be a pretty, as you noted, I mean, pretty fun team to watch. Oh yeah. Um, you bring in some more scoring with towns and um, some of these younger guys, you know, like to see somebody establish themselves as a really high quality point guard. You know, that'd be nice, but can't have everything. <laughs> yeah. can't, can't have everything. So no. you know, we'll, we'll, let's see, see what they got. It's going to be fun. And we have a lengthy off season to ponder how good they might be. That's true. Um, another team that maybe doesn't have quite the same amount of length in terms of their off season to figure th- some things out, but they did get some help, which is uh, Trey Sermon is coming to Ohio state football as a running back transfer from Oklahoma he will be eligible to start this coming season in 2020 it's a big deal because you're dealing with the fact that uh Master Teague you know has an Achilles injury um which was just earlier this month who knows how long that'll take for him to get back up to speed Marcus Crowley I mean he's he's a little bit banged up so you're dealing with a, a one scholarship running back um who is actually healthy and in steel chambers who you know basically had i'm I'm looking at uh you know i'm looking at dan's post he had 19 carries in 2019 so you want some experience you want somebody who's proven um Mm -hmm. uh, you know trey sermon is that he is a guy who will be able to um you know i think add some immediate you know I don't know, force in the room. He'll be out of talent, obviously, but just like consistency, right? Something that you want to see. He's going to be a guy. He averaged over six yards per carry while he was a, you know, a sooner. This is a guy who is going to provide some safety net for a running back core that was really seen as the only weak link in this football team. So if he can just be good, he doesn't have to be J.K. Dobbs. Yes, he, he doesn't have to run for 2,000 yards. Uh, he doesn't have to be Ezekiel Elliott. He just has to be good. And if he can run for five and a half yards per carry or, you know, 5.3, whatever, mid five per carry, that's going to be plenty, I think, for Justin Fields and the receiving core to just tear dudes up. So I, I am excited that he's here. I think he's going to be a huge contribution uh, to the offense. But more importantly, he's just going to be like the safety net that the team needs. If you need to get three or four yards, you don't want to have to worry about that on every third and short. So I, I think this is an awesome thing for Ryan Day and company. I'm sure this has been a long time, uh, you know, in the making, uh, but it's, it's, it's big. It, it's really, really big for the team going forward. And the thing that I think, you know, you really like if you're a running back coming into the situation like this, if you're, you're a guy like Trey Sermon, you're looking and saying, you know, I've got a legitimate shot probably to be the, starter on day one um you know with the teague situation teague obviously was set yeah. to be the guy now you're able to come into a really favorable situation but regardless for the other guys in the room you're looking and saying i don't have to be uh, a two thousand yard a year kind of back you know you're you're not counting on me to be the bell cow because we've got some depth now that we didn't have right two two days ago and so they're going to have some tread left on the tires and so if you're a guy like sermon who wants to uh, you know, have aspirations to play yourself into being a first or second round draft pick, as an example. This is a, certainly an offense that will let you do that. Uh, with with Ryan, Ryan Day um, is very, very uh, offensive firepower oriented, and so he's going to have a chance to make himself uh, a household name 
and you're not expected to run yourself into the ground in the process. So right. I, I think that's all to the good. And the other guys in the room ought to feel like, hey, this is good for me too, because now I'm not having to step up potentially into an unfavorable situation and run myself into the ground because we don't have the depth. Yeah. And and so if you get Teague back at right, like you can you can do a lot of creative things in terms of, you know, what you do with your running backs and make sure that, again, like you said, you don't have to shoulder 25 carries a game or something crazy like yeah. that. J.K. Dobbins was doing that at the end yeah. of last season. Like he was a guy who was just 25, 30 carries every game. If you have that kind of depth and you've got a guy that you can rely on and with Sermon, I mean, he's shown that he can catch the ball. You can be a lot more creative, and I, I think that's really what Ryan Day strives for in his offense. He wants an offense that is going to be modular, something where you can take a guy and say, all right, well, I want this set, but I want to be able to pass. I want to be able to have two passing plays out of this set, and I want to be able to have two running plays, and I don't have to mess with the personnel too much on the field. And if you can do that and not have to telegraph what you're going to do and and you know, in obvious running downs, you can rely on another back who can be fresh and get you those yards. It just allows you to be really, really creative with how you approach your offense. And I, I have always thought that, you know, based on what we saw with Ryan Day when he had Dwayne Haskins throwing it 40 times a game, uh, and then this past season where obviously that wasn't the case, I just think he wants to be able to be flexible. He wants to have that safety, uh, that safety net of being able to kind of plug and play and, and put people in situations where they can be, as I said, modular, pick a bunch of different plays from the same types of sets. And I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know what else you see on this team. Is there anything else, Andy, on this team that bothers you or concerns you at this point? Because right now with that addition, that takes care of my my one big worry, frankly. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty excited to see what this juggernaut looks like when it rolls out of its uh, hibernation here, this uh, forced hibernation because i i'm with you i think uh the one area where you would have had even uh, an inkling of concern was running back and, and especially after the injury to teague and I'm, I'm pretty confident now here's the other thing that i think is really important that we haven't picked up one out of this trey sermon commitment and that is the return of grace leaves on the uniform uh, oh I don't yeah know if you caught that or not but that uh pretty silky edit that sermon posted in his um, Instagram or Twitter announcement had the return of the gray shoulder sleeves on that scarlet Jersey. And that just made my little heart go pitter pat. Now, do you think I'm, that's like, what What do you, is that wishful thinking or is it him saying that this is the best look for Ohio state? Well, like, so what the, do you think? What do you, how, how, like how serious do you think that is? <laughs> you know part of i want says, it to be real i want it to be real i, I part, want it to be part, real as you do. part of me says somebody you know at ohio state slipped him that edit and so that you know it didn't i don't know where the i don't know where the image came from i guess is the the right. unknown factor um you know if, if some yokel out on twitter was pumping these out then that's one thing but uh, then it's just wishful thinking on my part but part of me says no you know somebody in ohio state's recruiting apparatus uh, that, that that does this magic made this happen and therefore it's going to be a thing and the gods have listened to us and <laughs> smiled upon us and some gray is making its way back into our uniforms I, regardless um, it needs to happen yeah i was going to say regardless <laughs> either either ohio state is telegraphing that's what's going to happen which would be great but if not, Trey Sermon might be making the point that this is the best uniform that you have and you should use it. So why not use it? And if the kids know what's cool, then, I, you know, then that's what you got to go with. Because that is by far the best uniform Ohio State has. 
Um, I still love the black. Like a lot of people don't love the black numbers on the side. I think they're still great. I, I think they make, I don't know. I think they add something to it. That's pretty kick ass. So I just, I'm saying, man, like people have been begging for it since they wore them in the uh, national championship back in the day, back, you know, in 2014, 2015, I, they got to go with it, man. They got, they got to bring that back. So, and, hopefully... and the thing I don't understand is why and in, in Ohio state's generally, you know, pretty good at, you know, the optics and imaging and so on and so forth. But sure. I, I've never understood why I think it was pretty universally accepted that those national title uniforms were about the best kit the team has rolled out in ages. Why that didn't just become the standard default uniform I, i've been baffled think, about that for five years here's what i think happened I, I because each coach that comes in wants to kind of leave their mark on the uniform or whatever and i think that jim trestle and urban meyer both kind of came of age as coaches in a time period where that was the look and they fell in love with it and that's what they were like okay this is this is ohio state to me so that's what i'm gonna do it's the same thing with jim harbaugh right at mission where he brings back the piping and all that other crap that they were doing uh <laughs> you know like on the legs and whatever because that's that's what harbaugh wore that's what he you know was most comfortable in and i think every coach tries to do that nice thing about ryan day maybe if he's dude from new hampshire right comes of age in the nineties watching it, you know, he sees Ohio state football on the TV and whatever. And, and he sees the gray and stuff on the, on the shoulders. Maybe that's his thing. So I hope, I hope that's the case. And that's what they end up bringing back. Cause that is just, you know, that that's Ohio state, the, the gray, the look, you gotta have it. Um, gotta have and, it. and not to say that the other uniforms are bad by any stretch of the imagination, but I just think it it's something unique that Ohio state has. I mean, you've got a great mascot, you've got the helmets, make the uniforms, complete the set, everything will look. Best uniform in the business by far. Yeah. Live it up. It's it's amazing. So, all right. So before we get to ask us anything, I do want to remind you that the uh, Dubcast is sponsored by the Dry Goods Store at 11warriors.com. Drygoods.11warriors.com. Shirts, hats, stickers, all kinds of things. Go ahead and order them. It's great. Let's do a little bit of Ask Us Anything, Andy. Um, And I do want to remind people that you can send us questions to dubcast at 11warriors.com or at 11dubcast on twitter and i want to start with this in the you know we got a really good question uh from bill and bill wants to know and this is kind of in light of the trey sermon um transfer although i think he sent it before that was announced but he kind of wanted to know is there any was there any uh position at ohio state where you were concerned about the uh you know the play i guess and it turned out to be unfounded. It turned out that like, this was a, this was a group that ended up just kicking complete butt. Like there was a, you know, a group that people thought were going to be terrible, but they ended up doing really great. Yeah. I'm trying to remember back to what, what, what I was, you know, I've been on wait and see mode, I think with um, a couple different position groups over, over the last couple of years, the one um, I was in wait and see mode with the offensive line for a few years because it, I wasn't sold that coach stud was, the the slob master and right. he's won me over i mean the, i thought the line play was fantastic last season um and then the other one that i was super you know wait and see about this season in specific was linebackers you know that was the one i feel like when we were having these conversations going into the season that we were saying you know because they had been pretty bad that last season under greg Schiano. yeah <laughs> and here again you know we we, we talked about this a couple times during the season man, what a change in scheme and coaching, um, you know, could do for, for a unit because those guys came back and, you know, they were 
pretty legit. So, you know, I, I guess credit where it's due, uh, obvious to me, the, you know, most improved unit over the past couple of years has been the wide receivers unit. Cause right. Brian Hartline has, but, but they were pretty good before. It wasn't like we were like, Oh my God, our receivers are so terrible. You were just saying, why aren't they running crisper routes? Why can't they get separation? And you know, Hartline flipped the switch. So, you know, there were a couple of units, but we're, t- we're, we're picking nits on some of these, right? Cause they were already pretty good. What, I mean, what about you? What was the, what was uh on your, these guys proved me wrong list. I will, man, I will tell you, I was super down on the wide receivers in the last like year or two of uh, Urban Myers, you know, coaching tenure. And I was like, these guys are just, they're going to get worse. There's, there's no way. Heartline comes in and turns them around. And I, I know specifically like 2017, 2018, their performance blew me out of the water. I, I expected nothing from that group. Yeah. Um, I thought they were just going to be decent athletes who didn't know how to run routes or catch anything. Heartline, I, I think, really shows how much coaching matters in oh, college yeah. football. Like it is, you know, it, obviously it matters at every level and every sport and all this other stuff. But it's so wild to me how you can see this immediate impact when someone comes in and either offers a fresh perspective or has some kind of method that works better or is just maybe more motivated and more knowledgeable about something. And it's like night and day. And I was blown away by the improvement of the wide receivers in those couple of years because Brian Hartline clearly has it as a coach. Um, I don't know, you know, I'm, I'm curious and maybe I'm curious what your opinion is on this too, but do you think Hartline is a guy who is, you know, thinking like long-term, like I want to be a head coach somewhere. I want to go off and, and do something. I want to be a coordinator. Cause I, I feel like we haven't heard a ton of rumblings about that guy sense but obviously he knows what he's doing right like he's clearly really really good at his job yeah I, find, um, I mean i just find the whole conversation really interesting about progression as a coach in general because sure. on, one, on one hand i look at heartline and i say you know you could very easily see him following a mike vrabel route you know super successful nfl career you get into coaching and you know you you move up that ladder right from position coach to coordinator to to head coach to you know even back into the league um or or in you know Vrabel's case making the jump to the league you could very well I could envision a heartline type guy doing that because of his experience and track record and players love him and uh he's obviously phenomenal at coaching his position maybe maybe the best in the country at coaching his position hell of a recruiter too I always feel like the question with these guys is um, especially the guys that you could see back coaching in the league mm-hmm. is how much do they love or hate recruiting heartline seems like he loves it um yeah. you know and then the the other question is how much do you love being at your alma mater does that matter to you um is is that a thing that that makes you happy that you're you're taking your program to you know newer greater heights you know what's the pull to that i think it's easier to see guys staying in positions longer because the money's changed. Yeah. You know, if you're if you're making a, a million or more a year uh, as a position coach or a coordinator, which more of these coaches are now, then maybe you don't feel like, oh, I have to go and take a job at, you know, uh, South Dakota State or wherever it happens to be to get a shot. You know, you don't have to go here and be a coordinator and then there and be a this and then there and be a head coach to get real adult money. If you could stay in Columbus and you love Columbus, and you're making seven figures a year, you, you know, maybe that's enough. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, and that's, 
not everybody, right, is is like Brady down in uh, in LSU. It, not everybody is looking for a way to get an end back to the league or you know try to become like a big time college football coach. It's just it's I agree with you. It's it's a fascinating process. It all depends on the individual and what they're looking out to do. Um, I don't know. I mean, some people just find a niche and they love it and they're really great at it and they just do it forever. And it's that's okay. Like there's nothing wrong with that, especially if you're really really awesome at your job. Um, it's just interesting because we play this game, especially at Ohio state where we just, you know, we wring our hands, like, is this guy going to be the next is the person to leave, you know, and all this other stuff. And, you know, when you have a successful coach at a key position, you want to keep them there hopefully forever, but that's, you know, not everybody is going to be like that, nor should they expect it to be like that. It's just, you know, but it is kind of nerve wracking to like, Oh God, when's the next person going to, you know, try to you know, find greener pastures or more money. But as you said, you know, Ohio State just put in about $750,000 more in their their coaches, and and hopefully that entices them to stay around a little bit longer. Well, um, and I love that Ohio State's doing that because, and I know, you know, some folks really hate that we're paying football coaches that much in general, and I, and I get that. But, but as a, you know, setting aside that and just being a pure fan, I love that Ohio State's doing it. One, Ohio State can afford to do it, but two – uh, because then you you have the opportunity for there to be guys like Larry Johnson who say, I'm the best in the business at this, and right. I'm going to do that, and I don't need to do the next biggest best. I don't need to get Peter Principled uh, by trying <laughs> to be a coordinator or a head coach. Right. Because we've, we've seen a few guys do that in recent years, right? I think a big Ed Warner is the perfect example. Best offensive line coach in the country at the time and wanted to be – a coordinator and that didn't work out so hot. So, yep. and we've seen know. coordinators go to be head coaches and it, it just hasn't worked out I mean, with Chris Ash. I mean, and not that yeah. Chris Ash doesn't know what he's doing. It's just, you know, it, a was walking to a really crappy situation and B, he just wasn't the guy to turn Rutgers around. So it's, it's not, yeah, I agree with you. The grass is not always greener. And, and sometimes it's, it's not a bad thing to know your limitations as a coach, or at least, you know, what you're really good at. Um, so I, I'm I'm 100% with you on that one. Uh, our next question here, this is from Tom. Tom wants to know, he, he, he says he's been watching a lot of these reruns that have been playing, these sports reruns have been playing on television. And he asks us, what is one game or event that you could watch a rerun of forever? So whenever it's on, you turn it on, you watch it, you'll watch the whole thing. Yeah, talking about uh, sporting events in particular, there, I'm laughing because with the – uh, you know, social distancing, we've probably been watching more movies at oh, our yeah. house um, lately. And there are a few movies that I, my wife just shakes her head because I'll stop, you know, every time it comes on. And she's like, didn't we just <laughs> yeah. watch that like two weeks ago? I'm like, oh, still good. My cousin Vinny, as, a, as an example, fantastic we, movie. We may have watched that three times in the last year. And if it's on tonight when I channel surf through our movie channels, <laughs> by God, I'll watch it a fourth time. There you go. Um, you know, but sporting event wise, you know, that, that Alabama game. Uh, I realized that wasn't the championship game in 2014, but that game versus Alabama, I, I could watch that again and again and again, because at that time, you know, now it's like Clemson has become the great Satan in our, our universe. Sure. But at that time it was, it was Alabama or bust, you know, Alabama yep. was the, the Patriots uh, and, and nobody was going to beat them. They were the best They're, you know, Nick Saban is, you know, it's Bill Belichick, you know, it's the, you got an 800 pound gorilla and man, Ohio state just, you know, that was a, that was a fantastic game to watch. I enjoyed it. It had, 
you know, the highs and the lows. And in the beginning, you know, you're like, oh my gosh, it's going to be nip and tuck. And you watch Ohio State start to pull away and 85 yards through the heart of the South. And, oh, yeah, that yeah. was great. <laughs> that was fantastic. I love the loving sigh that you give at the end of that. Just, that you was know, beautiful. Like, <laughs> you know, watching a, watching a butterfly land on a puppy's nose. You just, you can't look away. It's just, it's a beautiful thing. All was right um, in the world that night. Yeah, and, and I got to tell you something. So I've watched, God, I, I have probably watched that game in its entirety probably at least 10 or 12 times um, because it's all on YouTube, right? So all these games, yeah. you know, as soon as these big epic games finish, they're immediately uploaded on YouTube and you can watch all of them. And uh, I've watched that one so many times. I would have it uh, for a couple of years when I was like just grading at work, I would have it in the background just as like background noise, <laughs> you know, to like just cheer me up, you know, oh, I'm sitting at work, I got to do all this stuff. And, you know, at least you can hear Ezekiel Elliott run for 200 plus yards against Bama uh, in the background. So I, I would say that is definitely one of them. I, I it's it's so hard to turn away from any of those three games, either the Big Ten you know, title game or against Alabama uh, or the national championship. All of them are just fun as hell to watch. I will also say something that I really, really love watching um, are and I don't know if you can really count it as like a game because it's not something you're devoting a huge amount of time to, but I really love watching past Olympic highlights. Um, and the Olympics Ooh. right now are in flux. Like a lot of people are saying it's yeah. just not going to happen. And I, and yeah. frankly, I think that's, I think that's accurate. I don't think they're going to happen this year, which really is sad. It's unfortunate um, because I know, especially people in Japan were super looking forward to that. Um, and hopefully it's just a delay and not a super can you know, like an actual cancellation, but regardless, there are so many Olympic moments that I just absolutely love and love replaying and love rewatching. And specifically, you know, I'm from Middletown. Uh, there's a judoka, there's a, a woman, Kayla Harrison, uh, who she was a judo competitor. She does MMA now. Um, she won the only two gold medals in American history, men or women, in judo and i have probably re watched and rewatched her gold medal matches you know a dozen times or more because it's just so much fun to you got kind of a personal connection like she went back to my middle school like where she also went she's only a couple years younger than me it's just a lot of fun like little connections with that and you know michael phelps i used to be a swimmer so i, lo I love watching michael phelps old um uh, races and events like where he just barely out touched the dude when he was doing the butterfly for the i think like his eighth or seventh gold medal in, in 2012 or something like that i'm just all i'm saying is, is that i love those like moments and i think that's yeah. what i really love about the olympic stuff because you don't have to sit through like you know a three and a half hour football game because it's all condensed in that like you know key you know gold medal moments i just absolutely love it okay um, here's your here's your homework then so uh when when this is all over google surge reading press uh okay s-e-r-g-e -E, reading r-e-d-i-n-g um surge reading press so in 1971 at the world weightlifting championship uh belgian weightlifter surge reading he's a heavyweight massive right. human being um and it's kind of a sad story actually because uh, he died at 33 but he was fantastic weightlifter back in the 60s and 70s something like between i want to say he was in the 64 68 and 72 olympics um, and won four silvers at the Worlds and set six world records in the press snatch and clean and jerk over that period of time. But in 1971 at the World Championships, this big Belgian walks up to the bar and presses 502 pounds overhead. So, so in those <laughs> days, the press was still 
um, an Olympic lift. So now right. in weightlifting, they just do the clean and jerk and the snatch. Right. Um, but the press, in other words, is you just clean, you know, number one, he cleaned 502 pounds. Very few can clean 502 pounds, but he cleans 502 and presses it. Um, <laughs> and it's just a thing of beauty. I mean, this is one of those things kind of like um, Secretariat, you know, winning the uh, Kentucky Derby. It's a feat that may never be topped. <laughs> and he um, probably had about the same amount of horse testosterone pumping through his veins as he did that. It could, it could be a thing. But that, it's, but it's that does not take away from the fact that he did it, which is still freaking insane. Yeah. And so amazing. anyway, there's this great, YouTube, I mean, it's a super grainy, you know, 1971 YouTube video um, of you know, somebody taped it off ESPN classic oh, sure, or something. Yeah. But just Google Surge Reading Press and and it's the very first video that comes up. And you've got a, yeah, it's just what you talk about. It's a 60 second clip. Um, but watching this human press 502 pounds overhead is it's amazing. Hey, before we get out of here, I, I keep wanting to ask you about this and I keep forgetting. How do you feel about, uh, you know, we're talking about the Olympics. We're talking about wrestling or, you know, well, we've talked about wrestling a little bit. Yeah. How do you feel about Rulon Gardner's win over Kralin in the uh, 2000 Olympics where he took down a guy who hadn't lost in, like a hundred years for the gold medal, huge upset. But a lot of people, I, I've read a little bit about this. A lot of people say it was kind of a, kind of a crappy win, kind of a, like a low key, like not cheating, but like, you know, taking advantage of some rule changes. Are you, are you as inspired by that win as we're supposed to be? Or are you like a wrestling purist who's like, nah, he just kind of exploited the fact that they changed the rules like the month before or something like that. I mean, number, number one, anytime, um, an American beats a Russian at the Olympics. I'm in regardless. Can't feel I, bad it, about it, that. I, nope. Sorry. I don't care. Uh, that's terrible of me and I'm probably going to burn in hell, but I, no, sorry. That's, I grew up in the cold war, live it, learn it, love it. True. Um, it's, it's funny because there are a couple of these kind of deals over the years. That one's a good one. There's one. And I got to think this, um, oh, there was this ginormous dude from Wisconsin. I got to think of his name. But, but dude, back in the day when the super heavyweight class, there was literally no upper bound on the heavyweight class in wrestling. So you have this dude come in, he weighs literally 400 some pounds sure. at the Olympics. And, you know, he's just going to, it's a squash match, you know, every time he takes the, the mat. And I can't remember, it was, I want to say it was this little German dude. Uh, and I say little, I mean, he's still heavyweight, but he comes in weighing more like, you know, a typical heavyweight. And he tries to, you know, lat drop or hip toss this massive dude from, oh, it's going to bug me all night now that I can't think of this cat's name from Wisconsin. He died at not long after that. Cause again, you're a 400 pound heavyweight, you, you, you know, health, not so good back in the seventies. Sure. And he b basically gets himself penned. Um, you know, it was a touch pen in, in essence, cause he, you know, he fell under this big, massive guy. And it's this, this, this huge kind of upset. And then, you know, back to like shocking events, um, but it's like, you know, Hey, that was the, that was the rule Th there's some really good writing out there about Rulon and that upset. Um, I don't have a strong feeling about it anyway, whatsoever, but there's, uh, yeah, there's some good writing about that out there. And uh, some people are super salty about it and you yeah. can watch, I mean, you can watch the match. I mean, a lot of people are always just, you know, trying to big American, just wore them out or whatever. But that, that what's wild about that to me is that Kralin hadn't given up what I, I just looked this up. He hadn't given up a point in something like six years, a point 
and so and he hadn't lost in 13 years yeah like that's you can complain about like everybody's playing under the same rules so you can complain about whatever rule changes you want and how they benefited uh Rulon and whatever i i don't care you beat someone who hasn't lost in almost a decade and a half and hasn't given up a point in years that's yeah. just that is mind-boggling uh an incredible achievement and so i was just shut him out you know that. shut him out that's the yeah you know, that's the exactly. other thing um right. and, and, and you know their international international wrestling is really interesting um and and i you know i made light about the russians anytime we beat the russians at being a big thing but they're really good yeah at wrestling you know so yeah. there there are more than a few guys like and there was up, up until more recent memory um you know the team usa has been really good over the last you know 15 20 years but there was a long time where the russians just you know won every medal coming and going you know from a team race standpoint uh and, and so not only to beat him, but to shut him out like that. I mean, it was, it was a big deal. Uh, yeah. I, I, I'm not taking anything away from Gardner because yeah, hadn't lost a match in 13 years. Hadn't been scored on in a decade at that time. <laughs> I mean, think about that. That's, that's, that's mind blowing. Yeah. Mind blowing. And if you, th- and it's not like they're just wrestling at the Olympics. I mean, think about all the other, like, you know, <laughs> all the other tournaments that go on and all the other, I mean, just, it's hilarious. So, yeah, I mean, good for that dude. And I was, like I said, I was just kind of curious. And, and hopefully, hopefully sooner rather than later, we get some Olympic wrestling. I, I don't think it's going to happen this summer, but hopefully it will happen maybe the summer after that. Um, but, you know, it, it's, that, it's, it's fun. It's a good it's a good national pride thing to take part in that isn't like destructive or mean or rude. It's just it's good, clean fun, and I enjoy it. Well, and, and I will say this. <laughs> one of the things that about this situation, this whole uh, COVID-19 situation that will bother me the most of sports related will, will be not running the Olympics. Like I yeah. grew up again, you know, growing up during the cold war, as you and I did sure. um, watching the Olympics was, you know, with the family. And again, because we didn't have DVR and, and we didn't have um, the internet and so on, you know, so when those things were tape delayed and played back in prime time, you know, you didn't know what exactly. what had already happened, right? right? This was this may as well have been live. It was a big deal, right? Uh, so, you know, I just remember all those years sitting there with mom and dad and watching Winter Olympics, Summer Olympics, and it was a big, it was a big family thing. And so that that, that will bother me because I love watching the Olympics, even though it's different now, and you know what happens sort of in real time thanks to Twitter and so on. Uh, I still love sitting down with my kid and watching the Olympics. Oh yeah. I'm a big Olympics dude too. Uh, it's a lot of fun. And, and honestly, if you can get, if you can get the streams and it works and they act, you know, NBC actually like has figured out how to yeah. do it on that given day, then it, it's great. It's a lot of fun. Uh, but even if you know what's happening at a time, it's still pretty kick-ass. So, mm-hmm. um, but that's the dubcast for this week. Uh, again, stay frosty, stay safe, stay healthy. We'll be back next week to break down all the news and events that, that happens the next seven days. Uh, and answer your questions as well. So keep sending those in. Uh, but until we see you, uh, my name's Johnny. I'm Andy. And we'll talk to you next time.